Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. Now it's time for Spotlight Star Wars with your host, Ken Knapsack. Here we are, Spotlight Star Wars episode 108. That is right. We are going to climb into a Star Wars time capsule. Part one, more on the way. But today we're going to have some fun. Oh, we're going to have some fun. We're going to look back. We're going to go back to the year 1994. And speculate away for the new Star Wars films. That's right. That in a bit. But, you know, here on Force Center, we say it often. It's a mantra, along with celebrating Star Wars from the center of the galaxy. Uh, We love the idea, and we encourage you to speculate responsibly. A lot of S's in that uh, phrase there for a kid with a childhood lisp. Um, Speculate responsibly. And... That came out of Star Wars Episode Eight: Last Jedi, the aftermath there. But let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. We've talked about it before here in Spotlight Star Wars Force Center, but I really want to put a spotlight on that phrase. And Joseph and Jennifer aren't here. I'm not speaking for them, but as a team here in Force Center, we encourage the idea of speculation out of, coming out of uh, Episode 7. You could not fault anyone were speculating about what was to come next. Not just, ooh, what's going to happen in 8, but ooh, what does this mean? 
There's some mystery here. We know J.J. Abrams loves that stuff. And one of the things, I am on tape. Tape. Real to real. No, digital. I am on recordings saying... I, uh, you know, having a lot of theories coming out of episode seven. It was fun. Uh, if you heard him here in Force Center, you heard me speculating here in Force Center. That was my true speculation. Speculation's not my favorite thing. I like just watching these stories unfold, but it's, you know, without a doubt, it's fun. And one of the things I said is one of the, I loved episode seven because for the first time in Star Wars, we had some theorizing to do, much like, say, Game of Thrones, one of the other things I love so much. And, and, and we didn't have that with Star Wars as much. It was a different time, too, whether you saw the original trilogy as they came out in theaters, prequel trilogy, whatever it may be, different times in fandom and what we, how we like to uh, watch our big co- pop culture uh, nerd obsession uh, things there, but it's a different time. But Star Wars Episode 7, episode seven brought some of that, which was great. Um, but obviously that, that little runaway train can, uh, take you to some, some dark places. And if you heard me speculate on Force Center again, that that was my heart. That was me speculating because I love it and it had some ideas. Sometimes on other shows that I would talk Star Wars on, it's sometimes a little bit more for the job. Let's, uh, let's try to answer this question. But at the end of the day, I really do love speculation. But without a doubt, I, I, you know, this is not a Last Jedi conversation, at all here right now. If if you love the Last Jedi like me, great. If you don't, great. We'll have a conversation about it. Maybe sometimes I don't even care. I've gotten to that point. You don't like Last Jedi? I'm not going to sit around and talk to you about it. I we're going to shake hands and still love Star Wars. But the thing that sometimes rankles me, and it gets me. And I've had this happen at parties. So we're not talking podcasts or YouTube comments or Twitter mentions, like at parties or social gatherings or on set. Now, there was one particular occasion. If someone says to me, I don't like episode eight because uh, Ryan Johnson and the whole movie ignored everything J.J. did and just and just didn't answer the questions. That that one, I can literally feel my blood pressure rise. My my neck gets hot. My forehead gets my cheeks get flushed. Hair on my neck stands up. I literally have a physical reaction to that. And I got to be careful because it's pointless. It's a movie. It's a space saga movie. Bigger things to, to, to fry out there in the world, right? But bigger things to worry about and fret over. But I literally, have, I'm not lying, I have a physical reaction. I just, ooh, because that's not what happened. Ryan Johnson answered the questions. You just didn't like them. And that's where the speculating responsibly comes in. Let's have some fun, but let's also let these storytellers tell their story. And that, though, it should be said, none of this is a new thing. It's not new. It's not new. So that's why this is not a Last Jedi conversation. This isn't a finger wagon at anyone who speculated and their Snoke theories were so deeply ingrained in them that they couldn't enjoy Episode 8. We're not here about that. That's a different conversation. We're in the nice, warm Star Wars bubble here, but I wanted to get get in a Star Wars time capsule and talk about speculation, expectations, and how it affected the viewing of the prequel trilogy. Of even, you know, we can look at how it affected Empire Strikes Back, or Return of the Jedi, or the Ewok Adventure movies. Now, this isn't, uh, you know, I'm not uh, the talented one here like Jennifer Landa, who's got a bunch of interview clips and all those kind of things that are well-researched. This is me blabbing in my apartment alone here. But for the first time, I've got a little bit of research. Jennifer would be proud of me. I got a little bit of research from one of my, uh, it's a personal collection item for me. I still have it. It's on display here in my apartment. Can you hear it? Can you hear that sound? It's not ASMR. What I have in my hands is a magazine from July 1994. Cost me $4.99 plus tax on a newsstand to purchase this, the premier issue of Sci-Fi Universe. The cover of it has the logo of Sci-Fi Universe, their first issue here on the top, a little, uh, little picture of uh, one of the Planet of the Ape. Uh, apes from the original 60s versions, and it says Oliver Stone revisits the planet of the apes, okay? But the Millennium Falcon is the the cover here. It's the cover model, and the headline reads, in a mid-90s magazine font, the next Star Wars trilogy. And then the the subcaption underneath the Falcon, 
The adventure continues in three years. Can you wait until summer 1997? That's right. July of 1994. I, so this magazine hits a new stand that summer. 94, I graduated high school in June of 1994. I picked up a copy of this magazine, and I was heading off to uh, junior college, community college in my town there, Allen Hancock Community College, Santa Maria, California. And I was starting to, to study screenwriting and film and TV production. My radio career hadn't started yet. I wanted to chase my childhood dreams of being the next George Lucas. And so hearing, we had heard rumors. We had wondered on the playground, would there be new Star Wars. Would that actually be something? And after a while, even with Timothy Zahn's novels, re-sparking a lot of interest in there, you know, we didn't think it. We didn't just didn't think it was possible. Growing up in high school, uh, my friends and I, I had some friends who were big Star Trek fans, and we used to have fun, you know, arguments, Star Wars versus Star Trek. Back before we had YouTube shows to do this on, we'd have our little fights, our Star Wars movie fights, Star Trek movie fights. And one of the, one of the things my friend Steve, Stephen Morrissey, would always say is, hey, you know, I get it. Star Wars, they're good movies. They're great. They're classics. But Star Trek, just, we just have more movies. And we're always going to have more movies. And I think if you do the counting, Star Trek still has the lead now. But wow. We are not in that territory anymore. And back in 1994, it was like, whoa, we're getting three more of these. We're getting three more of these. Now, this is not a case study in why the prequels disappointed a lot of people, including myself at the time. Prequelist as I may be, we talk about it often here. Yep, we love the prequels. There's stuff to dive into. Let's have some fun with the Star Wars prequels. You know, 1999, my expectations were so high that a lot of them were not met. Again, speculate responsibly. If only I had had the sticker then. But one of the reasons was because the anticipation was so high once the rumors started percolating. And one of the reasons personally for me why my my expectations and and anticipation were so high was this cover story here from Sci-Fi Universe in July of 1994. So the summer of 94... I'm going into the fall there to start my first year of college, out of high school, the world in front of me, and that included new Star Wars films. The article, and this actually, I haven't really picked up on this till I picked up the magazine today. It's on my shelf here at home. It's on display. And it was written by Chris Gore, which, you know, uh, I've met Chris Gore a few times around conventions. Actually, I was supposed to have him on Jedi Lions. It didn't work out. Chris Gore is kind of like one of those... Godfathers of uh, the nerd culture here. He's been doing this a long time. Big Star Wars guy, podcaster, writer, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I've met him a few times. Nice guy. Um, but I, I had a personal moment. I picked up this article. Uh, I picked this out. I'm going to read some stuff from you, uh, from this article to you guys today here. I'm not going to read stuff from you. I'm going to read stuff to you, said Ken to himself. Uh, and then I, I noticed it was by Chris Gore. And had a good laugh. Here it is. If only I knew back in the summer of 1994 that my screenwriting career, my film directing career, would never take off. Well, there's, there's some stuff brewing with the screen, screenwriting thing. That's a different conversation. But my, my being the next heir apparent to George Lucas, not the case. Now, somewhere else in this great country around the same time, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson was probably having the same thoughts. Uh, this article, man. Countdown to 97. The next Star Wars trilogy, only three years until the next Star Wars film opens. Mark your calendar now. That's 36 months, 1,095 days, 26,280 hours, 1,000, excuse me, 1,576,800 uh, and 800 minutes, starts Chris Gore's article. And I'm going to read some of the stuff here. Without permission, I may add, from Sci-Fi Universe, they can come at me. Um, but this was a great article. And I referred to it for years, which is why I'm also amused now that looking at it that it's uh, that it was written by Chris Gore. I just did not know that. Next time I see him, I'm going to have to shake his hand and tell him what this article meant to me. I studied every word of this article. I carried with That is why I still have this magazine. 1994. Over 20 years old. I have this magazine in my possession because this article just springboarded my brain into a different landscape of Star Wars 
fandom. We're getting these movies. We didn't even call them the prequels. We're getting the new Star Wars films. What is that going to be? We had heard stuff from George before, and the article even references some of that stuff. And it's always interesting to note when and where George says some of the stuff. Sometimes you hear, well, I had all nine movies written. I had treatments for all nine movies. I had treatments at story points for all of them. Other times, ah, I was never going to make 789. That was never on my brain. Uh, then you hear the interviews with Mark Hamill in 1983 saying, you know, talking about Return of the Jedi. But yeah, George says in about 30 years, he might bring me back to be like the Obi-Wan of the new trilogy. I mean, you hear that kind of stuff. We know... A lot of that is true, but George himself, like a lot of history, you know, you get to kind of retell it as you want to tell it. So I want to go through, I almost want to just read this whole article to you, but hey, we don't have all day here. But this is some stuff here that I love to reflect. Lucas confirmed his plans for another trilogy to Leonard Maltin. I've since met Leonard Maltin and his wonderful daughter, Jessie, on Entertainment Tonight several months ago. And his statement was backed up by visual effects producer Dennis Mirren who's worked on every Star Wars feature. I think he's waiting, this is Dennis Muir, I think he's waiting until the technology is both sophisticated enough and affordable, and it's just about reached that point, said Muirin. Now, this article here, I said part one of this time capsule. We're going to do this one. I have a a magazine from around the same time period, it's a little bit after, that just goes straight in to the speculation of what episode one might be, and that is entertaining as well. That's why this is a, a series here. Spotlight Star Wars Time Capsule Series. In a recent interview in the Wall Street Journal, Lucas spoke more specifically about the new trilogy. There are a lot of interesting aspects to the next stories, but if I were to do them the way I'd done the other Star Wars films, they'd be astronomically expensive. Over $100 million. Uh, Chris Gore notes the first Star Wars film costs less than $10 million to make. George says nobody can afford to make a film for $100 million today, so we have to sort of reinvent the wheel. I love that right there. So you're reading that going, wow, George has some of these giant ideas that are going to be a $100 million budgeted film. Unheard of in 1994. Remember, Titanic in 97 was one of the ones that just blew the, the roof off of film budgets there. Now... Solo with the reshoots past $200 million. Now I get inflation times change. All right, loaf of bread ain't 10 cents anymore, Grandpa. I understand it. But it's still wonderful and interesting to read George Lucas going, no one can make a film for $100 million. But it also, to me, is a kind of a thesis statement on George for what he did with the prequels. I can't do what I want to do. I couldn't do what I wanted to do in 1977 specifically. I've got to reinvent how to do it just like we did there just like uh, the startup ILM uh, before it was even ILM, what they did in the Van Nuys warehouse. We've got to reinvent the wheel. And I think, in a lot of ways, that might have been the challenge for George in the prequels, if you break it on down. Yes, he wanted to tell his story, but, ooh, I can do maybe what I want now. Technology's getting there. George says, I plan to start working on the screenplay soon. I hope to be in production on the trilogy within the next two years. That And then Chris Gore has an interesting thing, but he says, but wait up, isn't George Lucas also the same visionary claimed the story, not special effects or technology is the key to making great films? So what's he waiting for? Good question. Goes into some great stuff about Spielberg, talking about Jurassic Park and them seeing the effects for the first time and wondering, Spielberg, a quote from Spielberg in this article, uh, wondering if the, if the effects uh, of Jurassic Park will stand up, saying it's just impossible uh, maybe 20 years from now, 15 year, 50 years from now, they'll look uh, clumsy. Amazing stuff. I love this time capsule stuff. And uh, there's some stirrings in Lucasfilm about this was going to happen. But I love this idea here. And, and Chris Gore is right. There is from Star Wars to Jedi, the one of the kind of original big popular making of documentaries. I have a VHS copy of it sitting right up there on my shelf looking at it now. George is, and I've talked about it before here, he plainly says, plainly says in it, filmmakers fall in love with their sets, they fall in love with their effects, and they forget to tell the story. Don't be obsessed with it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but don't be uh, obsessed with it. Uh, you know, it, it, it should be, if, if, if the big giant set you built needs to be seven seconds of the movie, that's all it should be. And it does seem, and even here in 94, Chris Gore's writing, the, that's weird, George himself said effects aren't the important thing for stories. It should be the story first, and he seems to be bucking that. And yes, I think that is one of the valid critiques of the prequels. 
is George was out there trying to break new ground. Everything else seemed to be part of it or even at times in the way. Um, that is uh, evident in that in the beginning documentary. Uh, Rick McCallum, I think, good producer, worked in Indian Jones, uh, Young Indian Jones Chronicles. So I'm not taking anything away from McCallum, but you can see it's just it's George's way or the highway. Sometimes you kind of get those undertones, and George wanted to see where he could take technology, and that's fair enough. There's a lot of great stuff there of the uh, rumors who might direct him. That's right, interesting. Conversations here of uh, Joe Johnston, of course, who worked uh, original on the original trilogy, ILM, who went on to be a director, Honey, I Shrunk Their Kids, The Rocketeer, and has since done a lot more, of course. Uh, he was rumored at this time. And then this one I love, a rumor that uh, Hong Kong director, hard-boiled as uh, the movie, directed John Woo. He might be considered direct. Could you imagine if John Woo had directed Phantom Menace? Um, but that it goes and say that, uh, George will, uh, probably there's some thoughts that George will direct himself. Lucas does direct the next film and a directorial hiatus of nearly two decades. Well, there you go. And then the article gets to, I've marked this. This is one of my favorite parts of the article. Again, July of 1994, we're thinking, Hey, we're hearing rumors. Star Wars movies are going to come and they will arrive in 1997. Well, that ended up being kind of right. We did get new, quotations, Star Wars movies in 1997. We all saw it again for the first time with the re-release of the movies in the Star Wars special editions. Whether you liked them or not, they are there. So that, with that in mind, here's the next, here's the next paragraph. One of the more ludicrous rumors currently doing the rounds is that a theatrical re-release of the previous Star Wars trilogy with upgraded special effects is eminent. Ludicrous rumors. Uh, you know, you can't fault Gore or anyone at the time thinking that. That just seemed outrageous. Seemed outrageous that that George was going to re-release movies. That doesn't seem outrageous. That would happen a lot, right? Especially in the 70s, waiting for Empire. Let's put New Hope back in a little theatrical run. But re-release them and redo it. You see this being laid out. We know now the special editions come out. It's George kind of testing the waters, I think, for what he can do for the fandom. We know, I think I give a lot of credit to Zahn's novels, restoking the flames of Star Wars. We talk about the Star Wars dark ages of the late 80s where it really wasn't uh, on, on, every, uh, on the front burner of everyone's mind here. A lot of stuff in the article goes on about uh, um, Kirshner, talking about Ivan Kirshner. Uh, um, uh, sorry, Ivan Irvin, sorry, I apologize. I apologize. Uh, then there's some straight-out speculation, and this is what, when it gets really good for me here. Lucas says, this entire saga spans about 55 years. I have nine story treatments. I have story treatments on all nine. So he says it there. There was a quote. The, uh, years later, I've seen other quotes where he's like, I, I never really did that. When I wrote Star Wars, it developed to an epic scale and War of Peace, so I cut it in half, but it was still too big. Okay, we've heard that stuff before. But 55 years he wanted these Clone Wars to span. Not the, what is it, uh, 12 to 15 or so that we get, 12, year, uh, 12 to 15 years. Um, but he does say, uh, based on Gore kind of put together previous remarks. And remember, nowadays this would all be tweeted out. Nowadays this would be on podcasts and all that kind of stuff. But this is, this is the old days. You had to go digging. And we put it all together. And we talked about how, yes, um, uh, Lucas had mentioned uh, a lot of the stuff talking about the Old Republic, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, and the Clone Wars. And remember, this article's out in 1994, where we're getting a lot of the Dark Horse comic stuff, picking up steam. The, the EU, the legends that a lot of people love now, I think was really, really starting to explode around this time. So Lucas talks about there. But I love this, and this is interesting. This is why little clues along the way that might have tempered our expectations, or at least led us to a little more responsible speculation on what we're going to get and what we now know is the prequels. Um, Lucas does say that uh, in 19, uh, you know, the, the core of the story is a relationship between father, son, and twins. It went through a lot of the machinations before he even got to the first draft of the screenplay. So there, again, he's rewriting a little bit of his history that Luke and Leia, from beginning in his mind, might have been twins. We know that probably wasn't the case. But this is a great little piece here from Chris Gore. The evolution of the story, Luke admits, was not rigorously pre-planned. 
says it's hard to say how it evolves into a piece. Eventually, the characters take over and they begin to tell a story apart from what you're doing. You kind of go with it and they send you down some very funny paths. And uh, they have a quote from um, something Lucas told publicist Alan Arnold during the shooting of Empire Strikes Back, where Lucas said the first trilogy is about the young Ben Kenobi in the early days of Luke's father when Luke was a little boy. So there you go. And they talk about speculation of the time frame, maybe that it wouldn't necessarily be in chronological order, that... Episode one might be this. Episode two might jump back a little bit. So you see, even then, Lucas had a little different take. And then, in 1981, in Starlog magazine, we all remember Starlog magazine, Lucas said, the first trilogy will not be, and again, in 81, Lucas is plainly saying, oh, I have other movies planned. That's why it was always a little confusing. He says it, he denies it, he says it, he says it differently. The first trilogy will not be as much as an action-adventure kind of thing. Maybe it will have some humor, but right now it's much more humorless than the second trilogy. Again, referring to that there be a third trilogy. It's a little more Machiavellian and with all this plotting and more of a mystery. So let's stop and put this all together there. Gore goes on to talk a little bit about the Star Wars Return of the Jedi novel, which does talk about Obi-Wan, um, you know, directly referencing things there. But before we get to that, go back to the beginning. Luke is saying the evolution of the story, talking about it's hard to say how it involves into a piece. The characters take over, and he didn't pre-plan a lot of that stuff. That you can see, with that being part of the blueprint, um, coming out of episode one, this is still in Lucas's mind. Questions were asked. Question, questions were raised. Who's who in the zoo? What's going on? Where's Darth Maul? What's all this going on? Who is he? Well, where did he come from? Uh, all these things. And Lucas had led us to believe, and there were some little snippets here I don't have in front of me, that you know, Ara Singh was going to come back. Uh, we're going to learn why Qui-Gon didn't uh, fade and disappear and become one with a force when he does. All this is going to be answered. And then it didn't really get answered. We definitely know R.S. Singh doesn't show up again to the, the Clone Wars. We don't really get the answers of Qui-Gon until uh, a little bit of the end of Revenge of the Sith and then the Clone Wars uh, cartoon has to come out and Filoni and team have to answer it with, with George kind of leading the way. And George has talked about how by Revenge of the Sith, the story had gone in a little bit of a different direction and he had planned for a big battle on seven planets and just didn't have time. We know the kind of early formation of the Rebellion with Mon Mothma, played by Genevieve O'Reilly, uh, Vale Antilles, Jimmy Smits, Natalie Portman, Bai Ling was supposed to be a senator in there. All that got cut, got cut, wasn't in the movie. I understand that. It would have been cool to see in the movie, not as deleted scenes or, uh, uh, you know, scenes you have to dig on YouTube to find. But George, even back then, had this idea of, I'm not tied to anything. I'm going to see where this takes me. I'm going to figure it out along the way. I think it worked for him a little bit with uh, Leia, for sure. Vader, I think he had a little bit more of an idea there. But then again, too, we don't know. We don't know. Splinters of the Mi- Splinter of the Mind Eye definitely does not have Leia and Luke as brothers and sisters and you know, Vader as the father. We, we, we definitely see that George changed along the way. Sometimes I wonder, in reading this, it really kind of drives that point home, home in my head. Sometimes I wonder if that's kind of what's the philosophy at Lucasfilm now when you hear about, well, they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. They're, they don't sit the story group. What do they do? And the story group handles a ton of things, a ton of things, but it's a lot of small things. It's uh, co- you know commercial campaigns. It's little books here, sticker books. What's all this? And they're a resource um, Kerry Hart leads the team. Pablo's kind of the you know the poster child for it in a way, whether he wants to be or not. And Leland, she's been there for you know all those years, but they don't sit around on a group uh, and go out right, here seven, eight, nine. Even though some people might want that, I personally don't want that. I, a cohesive idea is not a bad thing for me, but despite our opinions of it, which you may have of it, I wonder if a little bit of that core kind of thinking. Let's see where the story goes, which, by the way, just, you know, as a writer myself, that's, that's I think, the better way to approach it. I wonder if it, if it emanates from this, if this is kind of the start of it. Uh, an unofficial mission statement for writing Star Wars. Yes, we have this big galaxy. We don't want things to cross over. We, we don't want to play with canon. But George wrote in pencil, literally, on a pad of paper, 
let's kind of plan in pencils too. Food for thought. I'm not saying anything's right or wrong, but it's interesting to hear George really direct that himself. As I said, Chris Gore talks a lot about the Return of the Jedi novel and a scene. He says a scene... Uh, I guess he's indirectly referencing the novel, uh, but really talking about the scene cut of Obi-Wan, uh, revealing uh, the thing, again, the famous thing uh, about o- Owen Lars is my brother, I'm going to take you there, and then your mother took Leia to Alderaan, where she was adopted, but your mother was there. So you can see you can see where Leia telling Luke, oh, I remember my, mom, my mother, I have images of her, beautiful, sad, all that kind of stuff. You can remember... You can see where George had that down on paper at some point. Oh, yeah. You, you know, her mother was alive. He says right here, you know, Kenobi says, hey, Vader ran off. He didn't know your mom was pregnant. We felt this was the best. We made this decision to split you guys up, hide you. So, yeah, Leia would remember her mother. And then comes come the prequels. George is like, nah, I don't want to go that way. And it's uh, to me, it's a little, it's not little, it's one of the bigger gaps in the Star Wars story, one of the biggest uh, little plot holes we have to kind of make our own headcanon to uh, fill in there. There's some great stuff here about Timothy Zahn, how he was not allowed to do some of the stuff that he was supposed to do, including uh, Anakin's transformation into Vader, how the Nagri uh, with Rook and all those stuff with Zahn, you know, Abathron's right-hand assassin, personal bodyguard, they were originally going to be called the Sith, because remember, we didn't know much about the Sith back then. We knew from promotional materials around A New Hope that Darth Vader was the Dark Lord of the Sith. So Timothy Zahn had this idea to make it, all right, the Sith. He commands the Sith. It's his own Knights of Ren. We're going to make this species of alien. He commands them. They're deadly killers. And then somehow, you know, shows up here in this novel. Thrawn uh, has them, blah, blah, blah. And and, and they, they do go into how... The Nagrai were imprisoned and enslaved and taken over by the Empire, and Vader had, you know, obviously a tremendous amount to do with that there. Um, some great stuff in that book. But again, off-limits, Lucas kind of had some of this planned, but we didn't even know what the Sith were at this time. Our expectations, our speculation is all over the place at this time if you're reading this article. And I remember reading that stuff and going, well, all right, now I want to know. I remember reading that novel. Anakin and Obi-Wan fight over a molten lava pit. I want to know. And then from there, my brain is forming the answers. And you read this article and you start digging in. You start digging in there. Um, Final big thing here. Uh, This is interesting, too. It's 1994. It's a long way to 2012 at this point. But George... Himself told publicist Alan Arnold, quote, at first I contemplated selling the whole thing to Fox to let them do whatever they wanted with it. I'd just take my percentage and go home and never think about Star Wars again. But the truth of it is I got captivated by the thing. It's in me now. I can't help but uh, get upset or excited when something isn't the way it's supposed to be. I can see that world. I know the way the characters live and breathe in a way they have taken over. And that's something early on here. Uh, that's something from the 80s. And that's interesting, too, as well. A little clue, glue, clue, in, the, clue in the past to what happens in the future, where George finally gets a little fed up. Maybe, I don't think he regrets that deal now, but I think you sometimes hear, like, oh, you know, when word comes out, yeah, I had my own things. I had my own Episode Seven treatment. They didn't take it. It was part of the deal. This keep, deal keeps getting worse all the time. It's interesting to go back to that and say he was ready to cash out long time ago, but he has this world in his brain. And that's when I look at the Clone Wars and say, ah, George understands it. George George knew the nature of the Force, the cosmic force, the living force, the father, the son, the daughter, uh, Qui-Gon learning, the wills, all those things. George understood that world. The final thing, there's a great piece of canon talking about how uh, the, strictly speaking, the movies, the radio dramas, and the movie novelizations are the most accurate and are considered canon. Again, this is 1994. The Marvel Comics Star Wars series is definitely not. Does that mean no Green Bunnies in the next trilogy? Uh, Gore goes on to ask, and the article comes to close. Some good supplemental material there in the article there um, about what uh, about what goes on. Wow. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Great stuff. Now, what does that all mean? Great, Ken, you read us pieces of this article. That means back in 1994, you're taking all of this in. Zahn's novels are out. The comics uh, are exploding. The games, there's some great video game stuff in here. You look back at like shots of TIE Fighter and everything, and it's like pixels, basically. Uh, this is why when I play Battlefront 2, as repetitive as it can get at times or frustrating, or I'm like, the Battlefront 2 and Battlefront, the re-releases, and, and the t- mid-2000s versions are, are better than anything back from even the 90s. Uh, whether the games are good or engaging or not, it's not the, the thing, but just the way the look and feel, like where we are with games now, obviously has gone, uh, gotten a lot better. So going to take a, a couple pixels that are supposed to be a speeder against a AT-AT, uh, those games... Glad they're in the rearview mirror. Fun reminder of that, too. But in my head at this time, reading these articles, reading, taking it all in, and not knowing, because this is 1994, the expectations were building, building very rapidly from this point on. Rumors then started to come out that it was uh, movies were going to be in 1999. We started hearing things about castings. And again, you wouldn't hear them on Twitter, obviously, or anything like that. Maybe early, early chat rooms. But you would hear it when Premier Magazine or USA Today in, in the entertainment section. You'd hear some, some rumors. They're looking at the girl from Beautiful Girls. Uh, she might be in Star Wars. Turns out to be Natalie Portman. Great. All right. Good. And uh, it was a different time, but the speculation was still there. And when uh, the movie finally comes out, 
1999. It had been in my head, well, since 1983, you, you did kind of wonder, but since 1994, it was at a fever pitch. I would talk about this with my friends. We're going to get new, I can't believe we're going to see new Star Wars films. Those expectations were impossibly high. George couldn't even succeed. George eventually kind of walked away because of it. You see uh, some of the fallout. Again, this isn't about the prequels, defending them or liking them or not liking them. This is just going back to a time to see where it all began and how we look at it now, and it's, it's a weird time, and we hear divisive and toxic and all these things, and it's all true, and it's all frustrating, and it can bring you down, and can sap the joy out of you, and everyone on both sides are yelling and screaming. It's louder now. But I think it was always there. Says, sadly, Ahmed Best or Jake Lloyd. Ask George Lucas. It was always there. It's always been like that. And we can't help ourselves. And I have some theories on Lando's return. I have some theories on Carrie Russell's casting and whether or not those Knights of Ren are coming back. I do, I do. And I love them. And I'll have them. And we're going to talk about them in depth on the next Four Center episode. And the next Four Center episodes. I love it. That's why we're here. But I wanted to go into the Star Wars time capsule to look at how it was in 1994, to read some of these quotes and see how almost eerily foreshadowing they were to what uh, eventually did happen and how George kind of was saying it. He was kind of putting it all out there. The humorless thing, a little different. He did try to insert some humor. This is going to be about young Ben Kenobi. We know some of the first drafts of the uh, Phantom Menace were more Kenobi-centric, which I do think would have been a good idea, but I do love the Qui-Gon character. And then he says it there. Oh, it's going to be a mystery. It's going to be more political, rise-to-power stuff, the Phantom Menace. George was putting it all out there. We were putting the clues together. We just weren't listening. And I think... That's sometimes the case now. We just aren't listening. Because you hear, ooh, new Star Wars. Here's what I'd like. And you can't help it. I can't help it. I'm doing it now for Lando's return. You can't help it. None of us can help it. It's part of the fun of being a fan, and you should never feel guilty for that. And we at Force Center don't want you to feel guilty for that. But this was a time capsule reminder of where it all began for me, where sometimes my speculation took over and maybe affected how I viewed the stories. We're going to do the time capsule thing again. I'm going to have that uh, article from the other magazine I have that, I mean, is straight out just, here's what's going to happen. Here's what could happen. Here's our thoughts. And I haven't even looked at it yet. It is, uh, I remember from just reading it, it's pretty wacky stuff there too as well but some of it was accurate as well so uh, i hope you guys enjoyed that look back at star wars the speculation of the mid 90s it's now time for our listener memory section this is where i read a listener submitted memory over on our patreon page any level of supporter can submit it I love going through them. I have so many already, so I go back to some of the older posts. So if you posted one a little bit uh, more recently and you haven't heard your name or haven't heard your story, I'm going to try to get to all these here. Some great stuff. Great stuff. But today's comes from Adam Nowakowski. This one struck me. That was very interesting. Adam writes, My memory is the story of my introduction to Star Wars. It happened in the mid-90s when I was about 10. I lived in Poland back then, and the only way to catch anything good on TV was to invest in a satellite dish. And my wonderful parents did that. Thanks to them, we were able to catch a Star Wars marathon on a German channel. Three movies in three consecutive days. We gathered every evening in front of the TV. It was a family celebration for us, another great uh, family connection with Star Wars. But Adam continues to write. But the thing is, the movies were dubbed in German, a language I didn't know, so the dialogue was gibberish to me. The visual storytelling was so powerful that I instantly fell in love with Star Wars nevertheless. After that, I would take the visual images from the movies and draw and write my own stories with Luke, Vader, Stormtroopers, and TIE Fighters. You can say that namely Star Wars awoke the artistic side in me. 
That's great stuff, Adam. Thanks for the share. I chose this one because I knew I was going to be talking about George, his thoughts, his approach to the prequels, and his approach to Star Wars in general and filmmaking in general. And how the prequels dialogue, shall we say nicely, dialogue kind of got in the way. Actors kind of got in the way. It was kind of the same on the original trilogy, just, you know, Kirshner has Empire in his hands, Mark Wan has uh, Jedi with Lucas looking over his shoulders. A little bit different. But now you have Lucas kind of doing his thing and Rick McCallum chewing gum and, uh, you know, chasing down Ewan McGregor. Uh, that, that stuff's going on there. But Adam really highlights one of the things that George does so well with all the Star Wars movies, but I think the prequels in particular when it comes to George's Star Wars, how they look like. Classic silent film storytelling. And you could watch Phantom Menace in silence and probably get it. Adam's watching it in a language he does not understand. With apparently no subtitles available for him at the time of this watching, from what I'm gathering here. But it didn't matter. You're pulled in. You're pulled in by the images, how it looks, how beautiful it is. I think that tradition carries on for me, particularly in Episode 8, but definitely Episode 7. Solo does for me as well. Rogue One as well. But even then, the, the story's a little different, right? It's a little grittier tone, particularly Rogue One. I think you need some stuff going on there. You could probably generally get the idea with those movies. But I, I think Force Awakens with Rey looking longingly into uh, the sky as a ship leaves. You kind of get the picture. You get the, you get the feel. You get the, the masks being pulled off. I think Episode Seven is very much about pulling off the masks of these characters and finding out who you are underneath. It's no coincidence that all three of our new main characters, not counting Poe, of course, um, start in masks. We talk about that a lot here. And then uh, Episode 8 comes along, and I think Episode 8, one of the reasons I do love it so much, it is one of the more visually stunning Star Wars movies to me. That Holdo sequence. No, it shouldn't have been Akbar, but even if it was, doesn't matter to me. That sequence is so beautiful. Hauntingly beautiful. It causes people to gasp the first time they see it. It happened in every screening and every theater I saw Last Jedi in. Oh, silence, a gasp. The beautiful imagery of Luke versus Kylo at the end. Uh, that standoff. Their lightsabers, the surface, the salty white surface, the, the, the sky, everything about it. That shot of Luke walking out. Mm, mm. Uh, 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 and walk it out through the smoke, through the crack in the wall and crate to face down the First Order. All that stuff. Even the beginning of the movie, the sequence with Paige, so beautifully shot. It isn't just that spaceships are exploding. It's the way they're doing it. It's the dread. It's the look on her face. It's everything about it. I think Ryan captures that. And I think J.J. did as well in Episode 7. But that's part of it. That is part of the DNA of Star Wars. And what Adam's sharing with us here as a child of the mid-90s in Poland is George wanted to pull in everybody and do some classic storytelling. And yes, you got your dialogue, and yes, you need that, but I still think George accomplished that goal of a beautiful, silent movie with the, 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 the sequences, the speed of the edit. The sounds, if you want to add in the sounds, because, you, you know, Adam's hearing the sounds. He's not understanding the German, but he's hearing the sounds. You put that all together. George has created some, some beautiful movies, if you just look at it from that point of view. We can talk about the other stuff, the prequels and all the problems and Jar Jar. And everything. That stuff, those conversations are great and valid. We continue to have them. But Adam's memory reminded me of the core of the story, the core of what George Lucas tries to do. Thank you, Adam, for sharing that memory. So glad Star Wars inspired an artistic side in you and inspired you no matter what language it was in. Great stuff. All right, that is Spotlight Star Wars for today, but as we like to do here, we close with a look at a character that left us. We take a moment to honor someone. It is our Star Wars in memoriam, and yes, we are starting to release these on YouTube, you can go to our Force Center YouTube channel. 
we're putting putting these out there. Uh, Kevin is uh, editing them, uh, editing them, and you can find his information in the descriptions and put them out there. Um, they'll they'll start trickling out all the ones that I've already done. They'll be out there. I hope you guys are enjoying them. If you like them, give them a like, share them, all those kind of things. But before we leave today, it's another very special in memoriam. Chosen by the Force to be part of a great destiny while living under the brutal twin sons of Tatooine with a name that would forever be part of the galaxy's history. Influential in life, impactful in death, let's take a moment to say goodbye to Shmi Skywalker. The fate of the galaxy then, now, and forever seems to be tied to the name Skywalker. Understandably, Anakin and Luke are at the forefront of those discussions, but you should never overlook the importance of the Skywalker matriarch. The origins of the Skywalker name and family line remain a mystery, but the call of the Force that would change the galaxy began with Shmi. An unwilling part of the ugly slave trade underworld in the Outer Rim, Shmi, formerly property of Gardula the Hutt and then Wadu, became pregnant by the will of the Force itself. While she did not quite understand that, the nature of the cosmic Force, midi-chlorians, and why it all fell on her shoulders, Shmi did not run away from her own destiny. She gave birth to her son, and despite living on a world far from the center of the galaxy under dire circumstances, she knew Anakin had a purpose. She raised him well. Shmi taught Anakin courage, let his creative brain grow, and encouraged him to help others. When fate brought some wayward travelers on the run from Naboo into their lives, Shmi sensed a change was here. It was time. She knew her son was meant to help them. A fearful boy walked towards his destiny, while a loving mother bravely let him go. Soon, Shmi would find freedom and love with the help of Klee Lars. She lived a good life on a humble moisture farm before her life was brutally cut short. There is no denying that Shmi Skywalker's death led Anakin awash with dangerous attachment down a dark path that would alter the galaxy. But Anakin's transition to Darth Vader never seemed complete. He dreamed of his past, fought to bury it, and conspired against his master. Shmi's grandson had sensed the good in him, a belief that led to the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. The good still inside Vader came from somewhere. It came from his heart and was built by his mother. The legend of the Skywalker name will go on and continue to inspire the galaxy, but the legend had a beginning. It began with Shmi Skywalker. Thanks for listening to Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center. Follow us on Twitter at ForceCenterPod and follow Ken online, including Twitch, at Ken Knapsack. Consider supporting Force Center on Patreon at patreon.com slash ForceCenter. Go to forcecenterpod.podomatic.net for more information and use the hashtag SpotlightStarWars to join the conversation. Until next time, this has been Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.